How many of you know Isaac Bacchus? You know this good-looking fella here? No, you don't. And it's a shame. You know why? He was a Baptist pastor in Massachusetts before the Revolutionary War. Do you know why we know him? Because he was one of the ones who led the fight against the government of Massachusetts because they would not support Baptist churches and they would not support Baptist preachers. Massachusetts, until about 1833, funded churches. They would not fund Baptist churches. They would not help Baptist churches. Isaac Bacchus was one of the ones who first led the fight for religious freedom and religious liberty. He was the one who argued in Massachusetts that government had no role in religion. Do you know this man? This man is John Leland. No, you don't. And it's a shame. You know who he is? He was a Baptist pastor in Virginia. He was good friends with Thomas Jefferson. He was good friends with James Madison. He was the one who argued with Madison that the Constitution needed a Bill of Rights. Madison did not think it did. He thought the Constitution already covered religion. Leland said it did not. Leland had more votes to go to the Constitutional Convention than James Madison. Did you know that? Leland agreed not to run and not to oppose James Madison, the guy who wrote the Constitution, if Madison would support the First Amendment that government should establish no law concerning religion. That was John Leland. Baptists have been at the forefront of religious liberty from the beginning. We're the ones who taught separation of church and state, not so the state would be free of Christian morality, but so the church would be free of government interference. That was us. It wasn't a secular teaching. That was Baptist. And it's a shame you do not know these great men like Isaac Bacchus and John Leland, who taught us that government has no role in the faith journey of our people. Now we live in a different time. We live in a time when some of us would want government to enforce certain beliefs and certain moralities. Be careful when you expect a temporary institution to do eternal mission work. So Paul teaches us in the 13th chapter of Romans, stand with me in honor of God's Word. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Do you want to be afraid, uh, unafraid of the authorities? Then do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, then be afraid. Because it does, not, it, it does not carry the sword for no reason. It is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath to the one who does wrong. Therefore, we must submit not, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants. Continually attend to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. This is God's Word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Teach us how to live as citizens, not only of the United States, but as the Kingdom of God, that we may be faithful to you and of good to our nation. And we pray this in your, in your name. Amen. Anytime you read a letter from Paul, there is a theological section where he tells uh, you, this is what I've been preaching, and this is what I believe, and this is what I've come to experience. And then there is a therefore section. It happens in every letter. There is an application. Because of what I have just been teaching, now here is the way that I expect you to live based on the truth and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Based on what we know about His life, based on what we know about His teachings, His crucifixion, His resurrection, and His return, here's the way we are to live in the world that we find ourselves. So, in the beginning of chapter 12, Paul begins to make this term. Therefore be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because of what I have taught you in chapters 1 through 11 about this great salvation arc of God, now, here's the way I want you to begin to think. Here's the way I want you to begin to live differently. Chapter 13, he comes to the role of government. Now, let's understand when this letter was written. Most scholars think this letter was written somewhere in the mid-50s A.D. 55, 56 A.D., somewhere right in there. He was probably in Corinth writing to the church in Rome. He didn't know the church in Rome. The church in Rome did not know him. So he is writing to introduce himself and the gospel he preached. Now what is going on in Rome 54-55 A.D.? The reign of Claudius is coming to an end. The reign of Nero is about to begin. That's where Paul is writing this letter. So can we get past this little arrogant thing that we have that it's never been harder than now to be a Christian? We've had presidents, good and bad, none of them come close to Nero. 
Okay, so can, can we get some, get some kind of context here about what Paul is talking about? We're nowhere close to the situation that Paul found himself in. Yet, here is what he teaches. Government was always God's idea. People need to have a system. Now, the genius of Christianity is that we've never been tied to a government system. Other world religions have a governance system that is linked to their faith. We don't. We can exist in any circumstance, in any situation. The church can thrive in a dictatorship. The church can thrive in a democracy. We can thrive in communist countries. It doesn't matter. As long as the Word of God is faithfully preached, the church will stay alive. We don't have a government system. We adapt to where we are. It's always God's idea. From the very beginning, when the people of Israel left Egypt, Moses instituted a structure where he'd have commanders over tens, commanders over fifties, commanders over hundreds, commanders over thousands, and that was the structure that got them across the desert and into the Promised Land. Later, when the people wanted a king, God gave them a king, and we have the structure that David ruled under. But there's always been a government, okay? Uh, this idea, this fantasy that we're just going to an island, we'll live free without government, not going to happen, okay? If there's two or three of us on the same place, we're going to have to have some rules of conduct and some understandings. That's government. Now, according to Paul, the government exists to punish those who are evil. That's the second role of government. Government exists to take care of those who do evil. One thing that sets Christianity apart from other world religions is how seriously we take evil. We know there is evil in the world. We know there are people who do evil. We don't hide from that. Now, we have laws that tell you how fast you should go in a neighborhood. Now, I know most of us don't agree with that. But based on the things that traffic engineers do, they say this is how fast you should go in this because you know, like I know, if there were not a speed limit posted on your road, how fast would people go? As fast as they could. You know and I know that if there was not a law against stealing, people would steal more. You know and I know that. The government exists to enforce those laws for the safety and good of everyone. Now, government is made up of people. What does that tell you? Government's going to make mistakes. Okay, now, notice how we are to respond. Do good. Pay your taxes. Pay honor to those who, are, who, who we are to honor. Pay respect to those that we are to respect. Now, I know you want to say, Mike, I don't believe in this president. I don't believe in that president. Wait a minute. As my friends in the military remind me, we salute the rank not the person. So, if the President re represents the United States, 
Honor is due. Respect is due. And that's what we do. Well, Mike, you should know about this president. You should know about that president. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He doesn't say, respect those who have earned respect, who deserve respect. I want him to. I, w- I want to underline certain things. I want there to be, it's not there. This is the way believers of Jesus Christ believe. This is how we live. See what he said? We do good not just because we're afraid of wrath that we'll get arrested or put in jail. We do and we live that way because of our own conscience. What does that mean? Because of our obedience to the Lord's teachings. We are never given permission to disobey. Did you know that? I want there to be a loophole. Okay, I, I do. Turn the other cheek. Right? Unless he hits you first. Then you can pop him back. Doesn't say that. You and I are always responsible, hear this, we are always responsible to the Lord Jesus for our behavior. We cannot say to Jesus, they did this. You should see what they did. When we stand in front of Jesus, He's not going to talk about what they did. When He talks to them, He'll talk about what they did. But when he's talking to you, when he's talking to me, he's going to talk about what we did. You never, ever are given permission to be disrespectful or disobedient to anyone. Now, do good. Get involved. But let's be honest. We live in a time where we expect government to do the work of the church. It can't. It can't. The hope of our nation is not a Republican, not a Democrat. The hope of our nation is the risen Lord Jesus, and He alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. We will be obedient to the teachings of the land as long as they don't conflict with the teachings of God. When they do, we'll follow our conscience. We'll be obedient to the teachings of of the Lord. Well, Mike, what if they shut down your business? Then they shut down our business. We're not the first Christians to undergo hard times. We're not the first Christians to be picked out by the world to do this. We endure that. We bear that. And in 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 the way we bear it, and in the loving way we respond, we give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not ever expect a temporary institution. Government is temporary. It is a meantime institution. Don't ever expect government, a temporary institution, to be able to handle the weight of eternity. You know the most patriotic thing you can do? Share the gospel. Gospel conversations is the most patriotic thing you can do. 
Tell your neighbor about the love of God. Tell your neighbor about the freedom of God. Live in that freedom. You've been created for freedom. Don't surrender to the yoke of slavery again. Anybody's slavery. You're free in Christ Jesus. You don't have the right to get mad and argue with somebody on Twitter. You do know Jesus reads your tweets, don't you? <laughs> you don't have the right to judge them. You're called to be obedient, to be Christ-like, regardless of the situation, regardless who's in power. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Jesus is king. That's all that matters. Amen. And it's time you and I remembered that. Our hope is not getting the right person elected in 2020. Our hope won't change if the wrong person gets elected. Amen. Jesus will still be king. And if Paul could write that in the time of Nero, you and I can live this way in the United States of America. So do good. Help your neighbors. Run for political office, sure. Get involved, vote, do all of those things, but do it with a measure of understanding that we're being obedient to Jesus by doing good in our community. But our hope is in His return. Our hope is in His kingdom. Every government will fall. Every government will have its time. Every government will kneel at the throne of Jesus and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. The most patriotic thing you can do is share your faith. The most important thing you can do for your own life is to know Jesus Christ. Your identity, your value, your destiny all depends on Jesus. Nothing else and no one else. But regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances, every government, every ruler should be able to say our nation is better because of those Christians. They are the salt. They are the light. Not just because you're afraid of being put in jail, but because of your obedience to Jesus Christ, do good. And Paul wrote that in the time of Nero. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask you this question. Where is your hope? In whom is your hope? 
Do you really think it's the Republican Party, the Democratic Party? Do you really think that if we get the right person elected and the right people on the Supreme Court that it's going to save our nation? There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And maybe you have put your hope in something else and you're now beginning to sense that disappointment. So we beg you. I wish I had time to go face to face and talk with each one of you. But I wish I did. To ask you, in whom do you have your hope? Where are you putting your hope? Anything other than Jesus is bound to be a disappointment. And I don't want you to leave here disappointed. So let us have the chance to tell you about who he is, about what he's done, about what he wants to do in and through your life. Our friends are already standing out at the table waiting for you, our counselors, our ministers. There's a big sign out there that says, Next Steps. They want to help you understand who Jesus is and find your place in our church. Maybe it's just to become part of Brentwood Baptist Church. You come. Whatever it is, our Lord is waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. We pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.